Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, fill us with your spirit that your word might dwell deep down within us and use this very word that you have given us to renew our hearts by your spirit, to lead and guide us and to help us to follow the path that you set before us. Refresh us, O Lord, with the water that you give us. All of this we do ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus. That's just one of the lines of our collect of the day. Over the years, I've just more and more come to love the various collects of the prayer book. But so often, these collects of the day, these special collects that are used at the Sunday service and then carried on throughout the week following, have truly shocked me in these last couple of years as I've really sat down and tried to start looking at them more frequently and studying them and understanding them better. Prior to this, they always got my attention, but more recently, they've really grabbed my heart. In fact, as I was doing a little bit of research on one of them, I came across a random quote from um, on a blog site, and it was about an old priest speaking to his curate. And the old priest told the curate, it's like, if you don't know what to preach on Sunday, you can't go wrong just preaching what the collect of the day is. And it's very true. The collect of the day is intended to give you an overarching idea of what we need, of the brokenness and the sinfulness that we have and our need to come before God and receive the grace that he is freely giving us. And oftentimes, these collects actually help you to understand the various passages and how they come together. Even across three years where you use the same collect each year, but then have different scriptures read with that collect each year. So often, in the greatness of how God or organized our lectionary through the people who were putting it together, they worked hard to get these lessons to line up with the collects as well as the collects to line up with the lessons. It's not always perfect. Sometimes you get some collects that just don't make sense with the lessons you just heard. But today is one of those days where this collect helps us to grab hold of all of our lessons. To hear what is happening. And to give us a way to ask God to work. The collect today. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. When you reflect, I hope that you sense a restlessness in your own heart. Because you have heard the word, you have heard grace poured upon you, you've had grace poured upon you and your hearts have been renewed. And that there's a restlessness now that exists in your heart because of that renewal every time you turn to live in your own strength. And your hearts remain restless until you finally turn and see the Lord once more and come before Him, acknowledging that you have been made for Him. And we remain restless while we walk away, while we stray away, until such time as that restlessness finally drives us back to the Lord. And that's something that we heard here in Exodus. We heard of the Israelites 
When a new Pharaoh arose, he began enslaving them and putting them to hard labor because he didn't trust them. They had grown into such a great people in the previous chapters of Exodus. It speaks of that this great people had grown up and this new Pharaoh rejected them. He didn't trust them and so he began forcing them to put to death their firstborns forcing them to put to death their children so that they wouldn't grow as a nation, and yet they kept growing more and more despite what he would do. And finally, as they groaned under the weight of this oppression, their hearts became restless because they knew the word of the Lord. They knew that they belonged to God. And they finally groaned enough and cried out, and God heard and remembered his covenant. He looked with compassion on their heartfelt desires. And he was ready to send aid. He responded to their needs. He responded to their wants. He responded to what was coming out of them because they had been shaped by the word. In our gospel lesson today, we hear of Christ being told about a rather crazy incident. We hear about how Pilate killed a group of Galileans who were in Jerusalem, probably, offering sacrifice. We have no historical record of this outside of the Gospels, outside of it being right here in Luke 13. So we don't know what was going on, but this is not at all out of character for Pilate. He was absolutely known for overreacting to situations. I'm sure at some point these Galileans had probably crossed the line and broken a law somewhere, and so what does he do? He comes and kills them all and slaughters them in the midst of being at the temple and offering sacrifices in such a way that their blood became mingled with the sacrifices, thus making the sacrifices impure, not making them sacrificable, ruining the sacrifice. And he does that on purpose, I'm sure. He was cunning like that. But it's a strange thing, but how does Jesus interpret this situation? He asked the people, well, do you think they're worse? Do you think they're worse than all the other Galileans? Because that's the hint that they have. Because when bad things happen to people like that, when bad things like that happen to people, it's so easy to say, well, isn't that a sign that they are terrible people? That there must have been some great sin in them. There must have been some wickedness that they had hidden down deep inside for such a great calamity to come upon them. But Jesus says, no. No, they're not worse than anyone else. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that is the pending judgment that is coming. Jesus tells them of the pending judgment that unless you repent, you too will likewise perish. Now the one thing he is saying, he is not saying you're going to perish exactly in the same manner of these, as these other people, as these Galileans. No, it's not that Pilate's going to come and kill us all for being sinners. But that you will perish. You will die because of sin. You too will perish without repentance. Jesus reminds us that we are all equally culpable in our sin. We're equally guilty of sin. And without repentance, we too will perish, not only physically, but also spiritually. That's the point that he is driving home. Jesus shifts the question that they, or the story that they told them, with the underlying question of how wicked these people must be. He shifts that question from this world alone. 
are really from the realm of what happens outwardly being indicative of someone's spiritual condition in the inward. It's so easy to try to draw a sense of which, well, what happens outwardly must be representative of what is wrong inside with them, of what is going on spiritually. And that's one of the points of this passage is to remind us that there is a pending judgment, and but what happens outwardly is not always equal to what is going on inwardly. It's not indicative of the inward. They're not equal to one another because we live in a fallen world. If we didn't live in a fallen world, then yes, the outward would perfectly reflect the inward, and the inward would perfectly reflect the outward. But we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, such that the outside is disconnected from the inside when it comes to ultimate things, and the inward is disconnected from the outward in ultimate things as well. And so we don't know about these Galileans. We know that they were offering sacrifices, but we don't know of their true spiritual condition. But Jesus says, take heed and know your spiritual condition well, and repent of your own sins lest you ultimately perish from before the Father's face. But then Jesus brings up another aspect of pending judgment. He mentions a group of 18 people who were killed unexpectedly, who died when a tower in Siloam fell upon them. And he poses the same question again. Well, do you think those people are worse offenders than the, everyone else in Jerusalem? Should we consider this tower falling upon them as some heinous punishment for inward sins? Once again, Jesus drives home that there isn't a co-equal one-to-one correspondence here. We're all equally bad. Those people who died simply died in that case. They're no worse than anyone else. We are all sinners. There is not a one-to-one -one correspondence between the good and the bad things happening to the good and the bad people. But once again, Jesus says, repent, or you will likewise perish. Repentance is the one thing necessary that Jesus drives home here. In this, as we see a pending judgment coming, he reminds us of the repentance that is granted. The opportunity to turn, the opportunity to turn away from the sin that is in us, the sin that is about us, the sin that we desire to do and that we pursue, to turn away from it and look to Him once more, to look to what God has done in Christ for us. And thus, repentance becomes this necessary thing, the one thing necessary to avoid perishing eternally from before the Father. And this is repentance in the broad sense, because why would you turn from your sins if you have no faith in Jesus? This is the big picture of repentance. That as you turn from your sin, then you're admitting the brokenness and the folly of that sin. You're admitting that it is wrong in God's eyes. And thus, you're recognized that it is wrong in your own eyes, because God has revealed that truth to you. And so you turn from it in faith that God will bring about forgiveness, in faith that He has accomplished forgiveness, in faith that He will act with mercy and compassion. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants. The heartfelt desires we should have is that of repentance, of turning away and of forsaking our sin. And when we find that sin gripping and clinging to us, trying to overtake us, we turn even more deeply to the Father and cry out, Look with compassion 
I don't want this sin. My desire is to be free of this sin. My desire is to be free of these desires that are wrong. My desire, O Lord, has been given to me by you. Renew these desires and make me desire even more to resist and to walk before you, to walk on the path that you have paved before me and made for me through this world. That is what happens when we recognize the pending judgment and the Spirit acts and the Spirit is working and He is bringing about His grace that we will turn and repent, that we will recognize the folly of those ways and recognize the righteousness of pending judgment, but see within it being pending and not being already accomplished, that there is abundant grace. Yes, judgment is coming, according to Jesus. Repent unless, or you will likewise perish. But there is time. It is a pending judgment, not an accomplished judgment. And thus there is abundant grace to be had in this time. And that is what this parable of the barren fig tree is exactly telling us. It is a parable reflecting on this teaching from Jesus about repentance. In this parable, there is a man who planted a fig tree in the midst of his vineyard and he came and sought fruit and none would grown on it. For three years he looked for fruit and nothing was there. And so he says, just get rid of it. Cut it down. It's useless. It's, why should it take up ground that could be growing other important crops and plants that could be used to furnish my vineyard? But the groundskeeper, the gardener says, well, let us wait one more year. Give me another year. and Let me dig up around it. Let me place fertilizer and manure upon the roots. Let me see if this will renew it and bring out the life that is deep within. And then if it should bear fruit next year, good, well and good. But if not, then remove it. Then we will remove it if it doesn't do anything. That is the abundant grace of God that there is a judgment coming. That tree is going to be destroyed and cut down, but yet he holds off a little longer. He gives the opportunity for his word and his sacraments, the digging up around the roots and the manure placed upon them. He gives time for those things to take root, to lay hold of, to furnish and to strengthen, to renew that tree. Likewise for us is the point Jesus is making that there is abundant grace here in the church of hearing the word and receiving the sacraments. These are the very things that come into your spirit that drive you to repentance, that increase your repentance, that strengthen and renew your heart, that you might love God, that your affections would be untangled from the sin that wraps around them. And that you would then go out and bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Well and good that it should bear fruit next year, but if not, then cut it down. The judgment is coming. But there is abundant grace in this time. There is opportunity to turn. There is opportunity to repent. There is opportunity to receive grace upon grace above and beyond all that we have known. As we lay hold of, and cling to the sacraments as we cling to the word and recognize and hear what it says. As we hear the Ten Commandments spoken this week and next week and the week after. Those commandments should pierce our hearts, but yet, what is our response? Have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Incline our hearts. That is the abundant grace of God to change our hearts to want to obey His law. And that's what we cry out when we 
say one of those commandments and we respond with, Lord, have mercy, we admit we have broken that law in some way. We're confessing that we are sinners who have broken the law. But then we immediately say, after asking for mercy, incline our hearts to keep this law, incline our hearts to desire this law, renew our hearts and give us new desires and make those desires heartfelt, deep within affections that will drive us forward in obedience, that will drive us forward living a life of repentance. That is not a one-and-done repentance when we receive God's grace. It is a repentance that goes on and on, that is being done over and over and over again. That is the calling of God by His abundant grace in light of that pending judgment that He is going to give us renewal. He will transform us by His abundant grace, and we can receive that. And we know where that abundant grace is to be found. It doesn't just zap down to us out of heaven. It is found in the very word that he has given us. His grace is given to us through the hearing and the reading and the preaching of this word. But likewise, it's given to us through the sacraments. He gives us his grace when we are baptized. He pours his forgiveness upon us and calls us to himself and unites us to Christ, to the body, his church. He places all of his promises upon us that we have no reason not to believe that those promises can be at work in us. And that the Spirit comes and dwells with us and leads us and opens us more and more to the grace that is being given to the favor of God. And then we can follow after the Lord in light of what He has accomplished through His Word and His sacraments. And in receiving that abundant grace, there can be a timely turning. And that is where this woman who is crippled by a messenger of Satan comes in, I think. At another time, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and a woman came in, and he looked at her, seeing her in her brokenness, seeing her in the bent-overness that she had, and she had some kind of disability that just tied her up in knots, that had her bent way over to where she couldn't move, to where she couldn't break free. And he looked at her and just simply called her over and said, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he placed his hands on her, and immediately she was healed. He removed this disabling spirit from her with his very words. And she glorified God. Here is a woman who, I'm sure in this small town, wherever they were, was constantly going to synagogue, who was faithful in all that she did. And yet, she had been stricken with a disability. For 18 years, she was bent over. But yet she kept coming back to the Lord. She kept returning to where she knew grace was to be found. She kept returning to where she knew the word of God was proclaimed there at the synagogue. To hear of the grace and the kindness and the compassion of God. To hear that he was going to renew all things. That he was going to lift up our broken bodies out of the dust and make them eternal bodies, immortal bodies. To hear of the great promises of God. And so there she is week in and week out living a kind of repentance, a kind of turning from the brokenness that is crippling her, turning from the sin within that leads to the crippling, from that broken nature that we all have, that becomes the root of all the sin and disease and sickness that we all deal with. And Jesus sees her and he brings her healing. But on the flip side is the ruler of the synagogue who despises the idea of healing on the Sabbath, who sees it as work, who sees it as God breaking his own commandments, as Jesus breaking the commandments of God. 
And he says this silly statement, there are six days in which to work, come and be healed then, but don't come to be healed on the Sabbath, he says. Don't come to find out what God can do for you. Don't come and find the blessing and the grace of God here on the Sabbath. It's an utterly ironic statement that the very word that brings us healing is the very thing that he doesn't want it to do. This synagogue ruler doesn't want the word of God to bring us healing. He doesn't want the people to be healed by it in that way. He doesn't understand what the word does. The word works and the word renews, the word transforms. And Jesus, of course, calls him out that he is a hypocrite. They are all hypocrites because they do their own kind of work every Sabbath. They take care of their animals. They take them out for water. And so he says, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, shouldn't she be unbound? Shouldn't she be untied? Shouldn't she be loosed from this brokenness on the glorious day of worship of our Lord? She has come in repentance over and over and over, and here I have appeared, and here I have come too, and on this day I healed her. That is a good and glorious thing that has been accomplished. It is a timely turning that we can all walk in to continually come and receive the benefits of the word and the sacraments over and over. Receive that abundant grace more and more and let it work its healing in us. And that timely turning is a kind of repentance day in and day out to not follow what our brokenness desires, to not follow what our sinful nature desires, to not follow what the fallen world desires. And so every day that we get up and we pray, every day that we get up and we read our Bibles, every day that we get up and follow the path that the Lord has set before us, we are living a life of repentance. We are living a life that is timely and it's turning away from the world. And by walking in that kind of repentance, we are opened to healing. We turn from our own ways, as the Lord has told us. We turn from our own paths, from our own innate desires, from our own broken desires, and we receive the grace of repentance, and through that grace, the grace of his healing. This woman who had been crippled by Satan came in faith and repentance from her own ways. She was built up by the continual grace she already knew, the grace that she heard of every week, and she discovered in that particular moment yet another grace. She discovered the healing grace of God in that moment. And so the point of that passage is not about her getting healing, but the point is faithfulness, receiving what God gives no matter what. Faithfulness that is built up by the grace that is continually being received by that faith. And that is what Lent brings to us. The reason, part of the reason for this season is to continually draw us back to repentance to put before our sight that we need to repent. That we should come with hearts who are ready to receive the Father's grace. That through repentance we receive more of the grace. It is transforming us. Grace upon grace, transformation upon transformation. Lent isn't about a dreary drudgedness. It's not drudgery to confess our sins. But it is healing to confess our sins. It is healing to admit where we have gone wrong. Because in admitting 
and removing that mask of perfection, we can be transformed. For refusing to admit our sin means that we cut ourselves off from grace. We cut ourselves off from change. We cut ourselves off from the gifts of God. Our lives are lives of repentance, continual repentance, continually called to confess our brokenness, to confess our true sinfulness. And it is brought before us more and more in Lent. Lent pushes us to see and to reflect for this whole season on the depth of our need. The depth of our need for a Savior who dies and rises. That we see the pending judgment. And Lent brings to us an abundant grace and leads to a timely turning in our lives. We're reshaped in our hearts in the very way that they need reshaping. Grace opens our eyes to the travesty that is my life, to the travesty that is our life, to the travesty that is everyone's life. In our brokenness, though, we can better see others' brokenness. In the kindness of the Father being poured upon us, we are able to see that outpouring for others through us. As we have drawn near to the Father, He enables us to see the needs of others and sends us to carry His grace to them. Because the kindness that we receive from the Father has come through others. We receive it with others bringing it to us. Other physical people here in this world have brought us the grace of God. One aspect is that you all come every Sunday to receive the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ from me. Every week I have given, been given that gift to give to you. Through me the word of God comes to you in both the read word and the preached word. His grace comes to you. He uses me to strengthen you. I hope that you have trusted more deeply in Jesus because of what He has given to me to give to you. But that doesn't put me in a special place. But it does put you in a very sacred one. As you have received, you are called to give. Thus, as you receive the grace of God here this day, and as you strive, you are called out to be ones who strive to extend it to the ones that the Father brings to you. Because there is a pending judgment, we are sent out to carry His abundant grace. It is through you that others receive that grace. Let Lent remind you of that as you receive the grace of God through His Word, through His sacraments, that you are then empowered and sent out and transformed to carry forth that abundant grace to others. From others, you have been gifted with the grace. And thus, to others, you are to give that same grace. To carry that gift of Jesus' grace, not just to give them generic kindness, but to bring to them the true compassion and mercies of Jesus. To bring the favor of God upon them by telling them and reminding them those that are brought into your path of the kindness and the mercies of God. And that is a seemingly impossible task, is it not? Save for the grace of Christ with us. It is a task intended to drive us always back to the Father for more, back to Jesus for more, back to the Spirit for more, so that we can do the work of Jesus. And so may our hearts find their rest in God the Father. May our hearts be renewed by Him. 
May we be truly purified of our disordered affections that we might find rest in the Father who has made us for himself so that our newfound desires that he gives to us would be fulfilled, that the foundational need of God that is built into us would be fulfilled in resting through Christ. May our hearts find renewal and our hearts find peace in Jesus. And that renewal will lead us toward repentance. And may we then live a life of repentance to be led ever forward day by day, moment by moment, into a purifying of those disordered affections, our disordered loves. May that grace of God untangle that disordered life that is inside of us. May the grace of God untangle us so that we can strive more and more in repentance, so we can strive more and more toward the Father through Jesus. And in that untangling of our disordered affections, may we thus see the face of Jesus Christ. May we see the glory of God in the mercies of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.